0: Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Monsters. I'm Mike. I'm Allison. And today we want to talk about vampires. We wanted to begin with the two films that started it all. And, of course, those two films are the 1922 silent film Nosferatu, directed by F.W. Murnau, starring Max Schreck as the vampire. And then, of course, Universal's 1931 Dracula, directed by Todd Browning, starring Bela Lugosi as the vampire. We're also going to reference Bram Stoker's novel, as well as a short story written by John Polidori in 1819 called The Vampire, which is considered to be the first modern vampire story ever written. As usual, we assume you've already seen these films, so there will be spoilers. We're going to go back and forth between the two movies, but I think for today, we'll probably wind up wrapping up with Nosferatu, And then tomorrow, we'll finish up with 1931 Dracula. And then we're going to segue into some of the Hammer Dracula movies. And actually, we're going to take this all the way up, maybe even to present time, because there's a lot to say about vampires. Obviously, Nosferatu is not a universal monster film, although Nosferatu has sort of been grandfathered in. I think all of the, the silent film monsters going back to the German Expressionism are more or less like welcomed into that family.
1: Nosferatu, he's he's more like a sleep paralysis demon, where he just like, he only shows up in the corner of the room and then maybe you don't even see him, maybe he turns into a mist or like, or you see him, but then it's like, oh, did I dream that, you know, or something like that. Whereas, um, Bela Dracula, You know, he's way more human. He passes for human. And that's like his main kind of like weapon in a way because he just walks around amongst people talking to them, buying properties and acting like he's normal. But then when he has somebody alone, uh, especially if they're like a minor character, it's like, you know, uh, working class or whatever. Then, you know, then he shows that he's a vampire.
0: Yeah. And I think that uh, those differences are more or less expressed in terms gothic and romantic. Romantic, not just romantic, you know, from the standpoint of like love romantic, but also from the romantic era.
1: Yeah, romantic which, art.
0: Yeah, which starts in the late 1700s and continues on into the 1800s. And how Bella Lugosi's Dracula, it's based on Bram Stoker's book. That's because Carl Lemley got the rights, but ironically, The movie is not based on the book as much as it is on a very famous play that had been performed in the 1920s and in the late 20s and was a huge hit. And Bela Lugosi was the Dracula in the in the onstage play. And so really the movie, the Universal Dracula 1931, is a movie of a play, whereas F.W. Murnau's film, Nosferatu 1922 when he and he did not get the rights and therefore he was sued by Bram Stoker (laughs) was dead by then but his widow sued and won and so all the copies of Nosferatu had to be destroyed luckily they weren't Uh, but because of that he had to change all the characters he had to change their names but his movie is more faithful to the book but that said, and, and that aside, I think it's really interesting how we tapped into something in the fiend, into the vampire that fiend?
1: is. <laughs> is that <what> you said? <laughs> yeah,
0: that's in the book. I mean, it's, it's certainly Dracula in the book is creepy, right?
1: Yeah, and there's parts where Harker sees him doing things, and he's like, "I didn't see that. Like, uh, that's too unnatural," you know?
0: Yeah, unheimlich or yeah. or otherwise uncanny, and yeah, it's interesting how. In Stoker's book, you really do have a vampire that is like Nosferatu, but then is also like Dracula, Bela Lugosi. So the book really covers both of those extremes. The book actually has the romantic Dracula and then what I call the Gothic vampire that's better depicted by uh, Murnau in his film with Nosferatu. So um, it's it's an interesting contrast. And I think part of the reason why Murnau went for the more Gothic depiction and just, which is like I said, which is in the book, but he mainly just focused on that. And like Allison said, created a more uh, creepy fiend who cannot really interact in the real world. He's just, he really is a full on monster. You know, he can only come in the middle of the night and appear in the corner of the room, um, which is much more consistent with more of a, a phantom style Gothic monster whereas the romantic Dracula is really just based on uh, on an aristocrat. As a matter of fact, the play and even Stoker's book were very heavily influenced by a short story called The Vampire, which was by uh, John Polidori, which was a story that was told at that famous competition that Percy Shelley and Mary Shelley and Byron, they they had this competition. The story goes that it was a stormy night, you know, they were sitting around a fire and they decided they wanted to tell ghost stories. And the end result of that competition was we got Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and we got Polidori's vampire, which is really the foundation for the romantic vampire.
1: Yeah, which is kind of funny because when I think about, um, you know, those friends, like Mary Shelley and her friends, it doesn't really surprise me that they would write a more like, oh, the vampire is like dangerous, but sexy, you know, and stuff like that, like less of a demon. I don't know. That seems to go along with like their their culture.
0: Right. Well, in Stoker's book, Dracula has that potential. He does come from a, a noble family, so he is an aristocrat. Uh, there are scenes in the book where uh, he's teaching himself English, and he's talking to Harker, says, you know, how's my English? And and Harker says, oh, it's really good, and stuff like that. And obviously that's so so that Dracula, once he moves to London, he can interact in society and, and move around much the way that Lugosi's Dracula does in the film. But then... In the book, Dracula also has those Nosferatu qualities, because Harker describes him. It's it's not one of those things where he, Dracula can transform, which which is something that happens a lot in these films, where which probably started with Lugosi. Um, you know, Lugosi never had fangs, for instance, and um, and Lugosi can look, you know, very distinguished and fit right in, you know, and then. Like what Allison said, you know, when you confronts someone in a dark alley, all of a sudden he can look a little bit more fiendish. And then you realize, oh, he really is a vampire. But there's nothing really monstrous about Lugosi. And yeah, the way not, the
1: not in the way he looks or anything like that. You know, yeah. uh, he's not like a nightmare like type of creature. Like, uh, I mean, everything about Nosferatu is like unhuman, you know. It's like, he looks more like a dark elf or something like that. I mean, I'm sure most people know what he looks like. Yeah, he has these rat teeth that are like pointed. And then he has like pointy ears. He has, like, this bald head, and his eyes are all, like, sunken in, you know? Like you said, he's like a phantom. He more just, like, kind of exists in his own dimension, you know? Like, he pulls people in, and I don't think he ever interacts with people, like, more than one at a time. It's more like a one-on-one experience. they are like, at his mercy, you know?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, he interacts with Harker, um, the character who is supposed to be Harker in Nosferatu. And then when he leaves the castle and leaves Harker behind... He interacts with the men on the ship, and he winds up killing all of them. And then uh, the only other person he interacts with when he gets uh, to his destination is um, the the Mina character, right? Yeah. But going back to his appearance in the book, Harker does describe him as looking very scary. You know, it's not like Dracula in the book can transform and look totally presentable. And then when he decides to attack someone, all of a sudden now he grows fangs. I mean, much like you'd see in any modern vampire movie or, or or TV show, where they have they basically have these two personas. They have the persona that they can project when they're not in attack mode, and then when they get into attack mode, all of a sudden their fangs are showing and they're... They're they're a little bit more pale, or sometimes they even grow a widow's peak like yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah, or their or, eyes
1: get red or something yeah, like that. Yeah, right. Their eyes they, get blood red. They yeah. get kind of like demonic a little bit. Yeah.
0: So neither one of these vampires from these two films have that.
1: Yeah, Dracula those is, are like later editions right. In the, in the Hollywood world.
0: Right. So Dracula Bela Lugosi is pretty much consistently has his look, which is a very distinguished gentleman who, you know, can go to the opera and, and can walk around and, and people just think that he's a wealthy aristocrat. Uh, and then when he decides to attack, he just gets a little bit more intense and he does weird things with his hands. and he,
1: Yeah. He, he covers <laughs> people up with his cape. Yeah. And then he just like, they talk about, <laughs> they talk about him drinking their blood or whatever yeah. later.
0: I mean, he does have these, like, his stances are really cool to what he does with his hands. Um, when he attacks Renfield at the beginning of of Dracula, that's a pretty effective scene. Lugosi definitely has a way of once you see what he really is, he can be very convincing. I mean, that's why he's the classic Lugosi vampire.
1: Yeah, he um, but he's not he's not like unhuman. Like he he's he comes up more like a sorcerer or something, because he like you know he can do like spells on people essentially. He,
0: yeah, he can hypnotize. You know, they they get into that sort of. Aspect of it that he, he has these powers, sort of thing, you know. He's
1: yeah, because when he attacks Renfield, he makes him pass out, or at least yeah. that's how it seems.
0: So, but then there's also this theory that maybe he was drugged, right? That, that oh,
1: like it wasn't like it was in, like, it his was line. in the wine, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah but so. also, like right when he opens the back door, like before he passes out, he sees a giant bat like flying. So, yeah. I guess you could say, like, oh, he was just so startled, he like right. painted, you yeah, know. <laughs> was well, a kid,
0: that's what I thought. I thought that. The bat just freaked him out so much that he fainted. Yeah, you know, I was but, like, oh, my God, a bat. And then yeah. he just
1: fainted. So. I, 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 when I was a kid, I always just assumed it was, like, Dracula's powers. Yeah. But that's because I was already familiar with the idea that vampires can hypnotize people. And that's how they, like, get their prey. Because it's like, you know, if you're all upper class, why waste your energy on, like, struggling? You should just make them fall down. And then you can just drink their blood or whatever.
0: Right. Whereas Nosferatu, I mean... Yeah,
1: okay, the way they frame the scene, I think from a cinematic view, is goes along with what we're saying, because when Harker in the silent movie gets attacked like this shadow comes over him of Nosferatu and you know it's kind of exaggerated like he has these long fingers and stuff Harker's like back into the corner I think he's on he's in like this little bed I don't know he it just makes him look like really trapped and everything like that like
0: he is trapped yeah
1: he's like kind of in this little box you know where like he can't go anywhere you know like Nosferatu is just like closing in on him and then um in Dracula It's more like probably because it was based on a stage play. They set everything like a stage, so it's more like this like open floor. You know, everything seems just airy. And then the wives come in, and Dracula makes them move or whatever.
0: (laughs) Well, he doesn't. That's that's actually from the book, the Vampire Brides want to feed on Harker and Dracula says, no, this man's mine. Or uh, and,
1: is that after they gave he gave them the baby? He gives them
0: the baby instead, but he he feeds on Harker. Mm-hmm. So that's how they present that in the 1931 version. Of course there's no baby because they wouldn't do that in 31. <laughs> um, and yeah. It's and you know it's it's not a very graphic scene. It's it's all very suggestive, which like a lot of the early Universal films that Tends to make it raise the eyebrows a little because you you don't know.
1: Yeah, you so, wonder what they're hiding. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> the more graphic vampire movies got, especially with the Hammer films, uh, and you start to see, okay, yes, he's definitely biting her neck, and he's you know there's he's definitely puncture holes, and he's drinking blood. Okay, now at least you know what it is, as opposed to Dracula just covering someone with his cape, and then it's, uh, the scene just fades, and you're like, well, he could be doing a number of things to someone. So. I don't know, in some ways that's kind of an effective, you know, it's a way to make it creepy and scary by just not showing a lot. Of course, it's also because it was cost-cutting and they didn't, they weren't sure special effects-wise how they would do it, and and then they were also worried about the sensors. Now, this is more or less something uh, that I believe, I don't think I'm alone when I say this. Uh, I think Werner Herzog explored this in his remake, uh, 1979 remake, which is an excellent film, one of the best remakes of any remake I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, and really faithful to the um the silent film, but then they go a little further with some right. stuff. Yeah,
0: they don't they don't do an exact replica because he wanted to give it a little bit of a twist, but it's it's just an excellent performance by Klaus Kinski. And I think Herzog really taps into what I was going to say a second ago, which is with the Gothic vampire is that, is the vampire even really there? Because a Nosferatu type vampire can exist in your dreams. It's a shadowy creature that traps you, sleep paralysis, all of that kind of stuff. And there's even allusions to that in the book, where I think I I like to call it the first 80 pages of the book, which is pretty much Harker's journey. It's, it's, it's all about Harker going to the castle and spending time with Dracula and then getting locked in with him and all that stuff. And Stoker really explores this, you know, this aspect of, is it all in his mind? You know, is is this reality? Is this really happening? And there's a few scenes in there where you really start to wonder, maybe Harker's just kind of going crazy. You know, maybe we're just seeing this through Harker's perspective, and maybe the vampire isn't really there. And so what goes hand in hand with that is the more religious you are, the more you believe in God, the more you believe in the devil— and the vampire mythology fits right in there where the more you believe that a vampire exists, the more powerful that vampire becomes. And so all of this stuff is, is part of the Nosferatu slash Gothic vampire. And like I said, Werner Herzog really does a good job. There's that scene where, where Harker is walking because the coach won't take him the last bit you know, where he needs to go, and so he decides to go on foot. And when he gets close to the castle, he looks up and he sees ruins.
1: Yeah, there's always, like, that question of, like, is he in ruins the whole entire time? Like, I mean, if you, that's the thing about once you are in a story and you start to even approach the subject of, like, things being in somebody's head, there's so many, like, ways you can go with it. There's so many, like, different levels and there's so many different, like, reasons you can have for it. Plus there's like the whole thing of, you have to take part in like a ritual to like even get there in the first place. Right. Because Harker has to go into this carriage where they're it seems like they're just kind of going in circles or like zigzags. And it's really dark so you can't see. You have to be in a certain state of mind to kind of like open the door, so to speak. So you can't just be your normal self and have access to like this vampire plane. Like, you know, you just have to be in an altered state basically. And there's a bunch of different ways you can do that.
0: My interpretation of it in the from the book is that that whole sequence where he sees the blue light, the person driving the coach leaves the coach for a little while. You hear wolves howling and there's some ritual takes place. Harker can't describe it because his perspective from the, in the coach is limited. And so Stoker never explains to us what that is. It's kind of just a mystery. And then there is this scene where Harker says, I felt like we weren't going anywhere. We're just going around in circles. And I feel like, just like what you said, that's the ritual that has to take place in order to cross over to this other dimension.
1: Yeah, because if so, you're if you're too anchored in your own sense of normal, then you're not going to get there.
0: You're not going to see it. So that's yeah. why that's really consistent. And I think that's what Herzog was tapping into when he did his version, um, which isn't, as much there in, in Murnau's version, although the Murnau Nosferatu certainly has those phantom qualities, but Herzog really took it a step further in his film. So we're not sure if he's just walking around in ruins and he thinks all of this stuff is happening. Harker. Is, is walking around in the Herzog film. But we just see what he sees and he wants to believe because he wants to make the transaction, he wants to sell the property, he wants to get paid. He went all the way to Eastern Europe. Yeah, it took so, him like a month. So he refuses to accept that after all that work he just stumbled across some ruins where some phantom spirit is like roaming around. I think it's interesting how the Gothic vampire is the one style of vampire that can really get away with almost just not being there. Like we wanna believe that it's a real physical monster because we want all our monsters to be real. But I think more than any of the other monsters, that's the one where you could almost make an argument and say, well, there really is no monster. It's really like a psychological thing. It's just somebody is believing it and so it becomes their reality.
1: Yeah, or, like, it is the belief in it itself. I guess kind of like Candyman or something. It exists in its own, like, legend, I guess, yeah. or something like that.
0: Well, how you said in a, in a previous episode, and you said that you felt like House of Dracula just is really meant to be a dream sequence.
1: Oh, uh, so, yeah, yeah. W- whereas <laughs> I, don't, I
0: don't necessarily agree with that, but, but I would definitely say that Werner Herzog's Dracula could be a dream sequence. Like, it's, it definitely has uh, enough yeah. of those elements that it could, at least part of the film, could be considered a dream sequence.
1: Yeah, and Bussy really embraces, like, the idea of, like, vampires as, like, disease, vampires as depression, you know, like... Those type of things, you know. Well,
0: the plague. And then in Herzog's film, it's not Mina. Her name is, the Mina character is Lucy. He switches it around.
1: For some reason. And
0: she's very (laughs) religious, you know. So the fact that she has that really, really strong constitution about her religion makes it so that she would be the one that could interact with the, the vampire most effectively, which she does in the film. So all of these elements are really cool and make the Nosferatu films, the two, 1922 Murnau and then the Herzog 79, makes them very unique and they really stand out in vampire folklore. We'll be back tomorrow to continue our discussion on vampires, hope you enjoyed it. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, leave us five stars and a review, thanks.